Welcome to another episode of Old School Thoughts, and thank you for all that you do to make this podcast possible. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule to listen, to share, to send comments. Today, I have a special guest, Mr. Lester Williams. I met Mr. Lester Williams about two months ago at a, at a father and son event here at Frank Chester Recreation Center here in Columbus, Georgia. And I was interviewing someone, and he made sure I fully understood that he was old school. <laughs> so, so I asked him if he would be a guest, and he accepted. And so here we are today. I'm going to stop talking now, and I'm going to turn the mic over to Mr. Lester Williams and give him a chance to give you all the greeting of the day. And we'll go right into the topic of the day, okay? So, Mr. Williams, you have it. Hello, old school fans. I'm so glad we got somebody in our in our age group that we can talk to. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I'm willing to open up for advice, you know, because I found out in life it's easier to listen than to direct. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, Mr. Williams, you are from New York. Yes. Okay, so most of my my episodes have been given by me, and I grew up here in Columbus. But I would love to be able to hear what you have to say about, you know, kind of growing up in New York. What was old school like? And, you know, kind of give your reflection. Old school, when I was coming up in New York, it was more family orientated, Mm -hmm. neighborhood orientated. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody knew everybody's parents. So you raised in a village. Right. I mean, you couldn't do anything. The old guys, the older guys older than us Uh used to beat on us to make us see that we was hard. (laughs) (laughs) And if we cried, we got beaten again. (laughs) So what was the, what did you think about, you know, uh, growing up there and, you know, being kind of like in the mecca of of rap, in the mecca of, uh, you know. I I, I grew up with Starsky, Hutch. I grew up with Spoonie G, Uh all of them. I mean, I know every major rapper, you know, because I was a technician where I used to go to studios and fix machine, to fax machine. Right. So I got to know them personally. So, you know, I see them in their recordings. So, you know, I had a job where I was a technician where I went to high price lawyers, you know, uh-huh. NBC Network, Comcast and everything. It was like, to me, it was more like a vacation because I'm getting free tickets to go everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> but but growing up there, you know, what was the climate like? You know, give me a good picture of New York where you were in the neighborhood you were in and it, and how you all kind of grew up into this New York attitude. Well, in New York, we're so dense, populated. We live on in projects where, where, I, come, where I come from in Queensbridge. It's like... 15 projects on each box mm-hmm. with five stories of five family houses. So that would fill up Columbus. Yeah, That's yeah. my neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody in there, every parent knew each other. Mm-hmm. So it made it easier. But being young men, and a lot of us didn't have fathers at the time, mm-hmm. we had to become our own men. And by doing that, we became too competitive with each other where it was like, I got to stay in my stand, and that's it. Yeah. Whether right or wrong, you know, so. But other than that, it was more more creative because we didn't have much. So we used to play skellies, tops, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Stickball, football, volleyball, yeah. tie net up to a tree, you yeah. know. Uh-huh. And, but the funny thing is, most of the people that I know who grew up 
and left the projects, came down south, moved to more houses in Florida and stuff. My friends say, the projects was the best time in my life. Yeah. That's because everybody communicated. Yeah. You had nowhere you had nowhere to go but to be with each other. Right. So it was a, it was more a sense of pride, feeling homeless. You knew this twelfth street. You knew this was Vernon, you yeah. know. And everybody knew everybody. So yeah. it made it to me, it was one of the greatest experiences in my life. Well, you know, from a male's perspective, what was it like? being in such a dense population and you know a lot of times we talk about here in the south we could fight and live to see another day you know and, and we did we could fight with someone and it didn't come down to where you see things today where you know kids are killing kids and, and stuff like that we, we got a chance to fight and live to see another day so how did that happen there in, in New York where you grew up since there was such a dense population well what happened was it was babies. It started off in the 70s when babies started having babies. Yeah. And when I say that, if you're 15, 16, or 14, what do you know about teaching another baby? You're still a baby, so you don't know anything about life. Right. And then that was, a, that was in the mid, late 70s. Mm-hmm. Then the cocaine and crack academic happens in the 80s and 90s. I know I was part of it. Yeah. You know, and it just got worse mm-hmm. and worse and worse. Mm-hmm. You know, and... I thank God and my family that I'm still here. Yeah. You know, because I found out being that I was in the military, no matter where you go, if you're poor, the quality of life is poor. Don't nobody care except people like you and me. Right. And and so did how did music what role did music play in your life? What was a different style of clothing do you remember wearing? Man, we used to wear Playboys, Kangos, <laughs> the gold chains, the leather bombers, you know, rabbits, you know, Shetlands. Those are old school times. I still got a couple of my Kangos in my closet. <laughs> I remember we walk around with, with the canes and everything, golf clubs, and we thought we was cool, eh? Got our little one piece of gold chain with a cross on it. Yeah. Have our beavers. Or our, or a kango drop back to the side. It was uh, like, this is a pride thing. Uh, <laughs> and the music, oh, New York, is, it's, it's ever-changing. I was there when rap started. Before mm-hmm. it was rap, we used to listen to soul, R&B, the old Delphonic, Shy Lights, and stuff like that. You know who I'm talking <laughs> yeah, about. Yeah, I know exactly who you're talking <laughs> about. Teddy Pettigrew. That's what you didn't have to make love. They, had, they, they got you all the love you want. You just put the record on. <laughs> That's right, yeah, yeah. You just mimicking. You got it. <laughs> yeah. But see, the music was so much cleaner then. Well, when I started hanging out back in the 80s, I was 20 years old. That's when DJ K and Flash, you know, there's so many I can go on. Right. Where it was a rap game then. Uh-huh. And it wasn't the rap where they was calling, you know, the B word right. and everything. Right. It was like, who could rap the best and tell the best story? Right. Now it didn't change, you know. You got the dirty rap, hardcore rap. Yeah. You got every rap there, about everything now. Yeah, yeah. You, you got, got political be- rap. You got educational rap. You got racist raps. You know. Yeah. You speak on it, it's there. Yeah. But what people don't realize about hip hop and rap, that's an expression of the street where we get heard uh-huh. and we feel comfortable. Yeah. And we know when other people start feeling it and understanding it. They have to face reality. 
how did you communicate? How did you communicate with other guys, uh, other ladies? How did you communicate? I was just being myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I had a fairly decent education for New York quality education. Mm-hmm. And I would have to say it was... I come from a large family, so communication was a big skill. Yeah. So it was easy for me. Mm-hmm. With the girls, I, I, I was, I was cute then. <laughs> <laughs> I never got to be the, 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 the fine guy, yeah. but I was cute, so it kept me in the running. So I didn't mind. <laughs> okay. So where did cuteness get you then? Oh, cuteness got me a lot. <laughs> Got me little hugs there, yeah, little, uh, uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you a real cutie pie. You a real cutie pie. Okay, all right. So, when did you start seeing a change? Oh, I say when in my late 40s, 50s, mm-hmm. because I didn't partied and did everything in New York that was possible. You know, I had a decent job. Mm-hmm. I made money off the books legally. Right. You right. know, because mm-hmm. I used to fix printers, fax mm-hmm. machines, typewriters, mm-hmm. you know, laser printers. So, and I go to big companies and these people have it in their house. They used to say, yo, what would you charge me to come over and do? Yeah. I charged you two, three hundred dollars. That was almost my pay for one week. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was happy. Uh-huh. And then most of them was big lawyers and stuff. They say, yo, you feel like going to you feel like going to a Nick game or a basketball game or whatever? And they give me four tip four or five tickets. And I just give them to my friends. And we sitting down on the floor with Spike Lee and everybody. Uh-huh. So it was beautiful. So you said it was Spike Lee and everybody. So oh, no. it was not it was not un, it was not unusual to see a star. Well, who I we sat in the boxes with the star Chris Rock. Sylvester Stallone, I fly, I've been in the boxes so much, it's pathetic. Uh-huh. I used to go to Mickey Mantle yeah. with Harry Carson and all that. Mm-hmm. It was like a regular thing because I had a lot of them as customers. Yeah. So instead of me paying $80 a night, yo, it's, it's on us, Mr. Will, we owe you. Yeah. So I got to meet a lot of famous people and I had fun. But it's not unusual to see famous people there. Yeah, in New York? Yeah. Every place you go, there's a star. Uh-huh. Every place you go, you may not know them, yeah, but you see them, right? You know, so that that's not a problem. Mm-hmm. The problem is when you see them and you act like you don't see them, and they see you, yeah, they give you that look like you act like <laughs> you don't know me. Yeah. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it was nice. It was nice, mm-hmm. and the the most thing I say I miss about New York is the food. Mm. I mean, Georgia. I, I hate to say, Columbus. I, I don't you th- <laughs> <laughs> Get with it. <laughs> so what is it about the food? Oh, man, you could go in New York. You go every other block. You can either have Italian, um, Chinese, mm-hmm. Mexican. Mm-hmm. You name it. You get everything around the world. Right. Jalafas. I mean, I, and, uh, I, un- unlike here, our restaurants be open to like two, three in the morning. Uh, 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 Here at ten o'clock, and uh, your food ain't that good. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and it's like, what I miss is there's no intimacy in Columbus. When I go to a restaurant in New York, it's like you have a, a chair, a little booth that's made for two people. Yeah, yeah. Here's free buffet. Everybody standing, grabbing. You know, mm-hmm. where the waiters used to come. 
how may I help you? Yeah. We don't have that down here. There seems to be some identity in New York as opposed to not having an identity here in Columbus, right? Well, I don't want to put Columbus down now that I live here. Mm -hmm. But to be honest, you're more of a fast food place than anything else. Right. You know, it's not, y'all don't have time to be intimate. It's like, y'all make a plate, doom, 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 and that's it. Uh You know, the closest restaurant I went to was Red Lobster, and I still wasn't satisfied. Right, right. (laughs) Well, we got to stop doing (laughs) that. But now, you know, the thing is, we've all had some idea and some fantasy of what New York was about. And I guess New York always has some fantasy and some idea of what, you know, the city, I mean, the South was about. Now that you've gotten a chance to live in both areas and witness both, how do you see the North and the South? The South, what I don't understand, lost their fighting ability mm-hmm. as far as civil rights come. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like since a lot of us, our family moved from the South and up North, and then we decided to move back. Well, I decided because I spent time in the military down here. Mm-hmm. And my brother was 50 years old. We celebrated our 50th birthday together. And I saw how cheap it was. Mm-hmm. I said, man, that's, that's, that's less than my rent. I can own a house. Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly what I did. But then as I noticed, it was, you have no unions down here. You have nobody to represent you in your community. Right. You know, you got, you got districts that... You don't even know that's the districts or the people who represent you in that district. Right. You know, we're in New York. You knew who the politician was. Because when I lived in Harlem, Dinkins and all of them, you know, Sam Perkins, the D, all of them, they'd be right in your neighborhood advertising, you know, to make sure if you got a problem, you come to your office. You know? Yeah, yeah. Here, you don't even know who's going on. Right. The only time I know something is when it comes to voting and I see Democrats and Republicans. And I'm, I'm when it's time to vote again. I time to vote. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they but, come out of the woodwork. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I just think, it's, uh, well, thanks to Stacey Abram, that we people are starting to pick up their rights to the vote mm-hmm. and know how to do it. You know, mm-hmm. as opposed to just giving up. Yeah. But do you feel that we kind of slacked off after the election? Def, def, definitely slacked off. Mm-hmm. Definitely slacked off. Mm-hmm. Because. After the election, it was like, where do we go from here? Right. Well, you shouldn't have to depend on your leaders. You're supposed to lead your leader. Right. So you can get what you need to survive. Make your demands. Yeah. yeah. So if, you don't, if you're not pushing back, don't expect your leader to push back because he's in there mainly to help himself and to help his community. Mm-hmm. And in order for him to recognize everybody's community, we all have to be in there together. Yeah. So how do you see, you know, the young people today, um, the young people unable to communicate with them? And, and it's not all of them, but it's so many of them that take control of the, of the media. Well, uh, with negative things. Yeah, well, I so, think that has to do with Facebook, you know. And to be honest... It's that they don't have other outlets. Mm-hmm. Like, we're doing this podcast here. Right. Why can't we have a kid's podcast in every recreational center, 
and teach them how to talk to people, how to communicate with people, how to make your voice noticed. And I, and I think that's an excellent point because, you know, I'm always trying to have an impact some way. And even with this podcast, you know, it has turned out to be an archive of information, an archive of discussions. And your, you know, even as this discussion right here becomes part of that history, I would love to hear what young people have to say. And I would love to, to join you in ensuring that we have a podcast down here to, well, you know, to hear what young people I, have to say. I can, I can help you like that. You come to this gym, as you see, everybody in that court, they have an opinion. Right. <laughs> and, and, just, I, and I would love to hear what their opinions what, what, are. What they would need to is for us to sit down, address the union, address the, the problems that they have, and we, as old school, need to show them how we used to fight. Yeah. And then allow them to learn how to fight on, to have them learn to fight on their own. Right. Because we can't depend on what we do because times are different. For every action, there's a reaction, a counter action. But, you know, you know I, 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 you know, sometimes I sit back and say, well, you know, we are able to do some of the things that we used to do. Talking is what we used to do. Uh, respect is is a universal thing. It's a timeless situation, right? It's a timeless thing. There are some things that we used to do that we can still do today. It's just, how did we lose it? The truth of the matter is, I felt because people just got too caught up in their own personal lives. Mm-hmm. Where some of us were successful, some of us were not. And... We stopped caring about our neighbors and friends. We stopped caring about the community. We was in it for ourselves. Yeah. That was like the Generation X and, and X and everything. Because I grew up in there, and I was Generation, I think, G mm-hmm. or whatever. I was doing the, the Reagan administration. Mm-hmm. And anybody, they talk of Reagan like he's a hero. Yeah. Reagan was the biggest crook in the world. Yeah. But yet, in America's eyes, he sold drugs, let to go out and sell drugs so they could buy guns, right. and who suffered from it? Yeah. And you you supposed to be the greatest president? Mm-hmm. You gave us trickle-down taxes. I ain't seen no trickle-down in the last 40, 50 years. Mm-hmm. You know, America is just on the course with white people can lie and get away with it mm-hmm. and just say it's justified because we're white. So let me ask you this question. I've been doing this for a long time. And, and I notice when, when people speak of old school, a smile always comes to their face. Why do you think there's a smile always associated with old school? Because we knew how to play together. We knew how to get along with each other. We knew how to respect our parents. You know, whether we was poor, upper middle class, we made things happen. Right. And when you think of the memories, I have friends on my Facebook page that, Yo, family, what's up? I haven't heard from you in a long time. Right. I remember you used to be on the court. We used to roll in the tires, take a bottle, b- b- bags of leaves, pull them up in the city, and jump over the bowels into it. Yeah. He said, there's no imagination. No imagination. No imagination. Everything is computer, is computerized yeah. and isolated. Yeah, right. Mainly isolated so you can't communicate. Yeah. And if you don't know how to communicate, they can rupture us any way they want. That's true. That's true. So, Mr. Williams, before we close, uh, do you have any last words that you would like to share with our audience? Yes. 
My recommendation is a quote that my mother used to tell me. If God wanted you to talk so much, he would have gave you two mouths instead of two ears. Mm -hmm. Try listening more and speaking less. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that does make sense. Um, Mr. Lester Williams, again, I would like to thank you for being a guest on Old School Thoughts. Well, I want to thank you for having me. I kind of like this. I think I can do this more often. <laughs> I might come after your job. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm not going to run away from it. <laughs> I'm not going to run away from it. The more, the merrier. And, you know, let's make this Let's make this uh, a habit then. Oh, that's no problem. Let's make it a habit. Well, you know where I live? Well, you don't know where I live, but you know where I work. <laughs> yeah. Well, you might as well find out where I live too. See yeah. me in action. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> But, Mr. Williams, I really appreciate you for accepting my invitation to be a guest on Old School Thoughts. Uh, you know, anyone who deals with me, you know that I always say I love you. Yeah. Oh, I love you, too. Yeah. Man. You, it's mutual. Yeah. And, and to my guests, you know that I love you as well. And until next time, be good.